fair warning. The content for the next few minutes will be church nerdish in nature. So listen at your own risk. Now, this might seem obvious, but it really is important. The biblical writers of the Old and New Testament, well, they used images, metaphors, language, and ideas that made sense to them, that were normal in their world to speak about their experience of God, which is really actually hard to put into words. So I don't think any of that is shocking to any of us, because of course all people use the communication tools that they have at their disposal to help others understand what is important to them and what they've experienced. So this is, is not shocking, but sometimes I think we forget this. Sometimes we forget that our world, our images, our language, our ideas that, that we use today, well, they don't make up the biblical world. <laughs> what is normal for us is not normal for all people for all times and vice versa. So if the stories of our faith are truly going to be real for us, if they are truly going to speak to us now, if they're going to have deep meaning and fully register in our lives and address our spiritual needs more deeply, well then part of our call as a faith community is to take a step back and to see the stories of our faith through new eyes, through, through different eyes. For the ancients, the Jewish community, the early Christian community, and even others of the time, uh, the universe was understood to be something like this, a three-story, three-tier universe. Uh, on the top is God, heaven, the divine presence, the creator, all that is good and mighty and holy and powerful. And in this way of thinking, there is a boundary which cannot be crossed, a barrier that separates the holy from that which is below, which is us. <laughs> the world, the creatures, trees, mountains, animals, insects, all that you see and experience that makes up the middle section of this three-story universe. I mean, this is, this is our life, this is our home, our families, it's our stories, our communities. And then there is the boundary that separates us from that which is below, the final tier, the final level or story of the universe. It, it, it's the place of death. It's the place of aloneness, separateness. It's the shadow world, it's the underworld. The understanding of the universe is widely assumed in the biblical world to look just like this. I mean, it's obvious and normal. And that is why in Genesis, Jacob has a dream where he sees a staircase or a ladder with angels descending to earth and then ascending back to heaven. I mean, it's why in Exodus, God comes down and Moses goes up in order to meet on the mountain. It's why the authors use images of the pit and valleys and dark places to talk about death and God's absence. And it's still why today, where if I were to ask people, point to God, okay, ready, set, go, point, there are still plenty of people who would point up. <laughs> so, so there still is a remnant of this today. But by and large, this is not our world. It's not. 
Ours is the world of the Hubble telescope that looks into distant galaxies and space travel. I mean, we have space shuttles and large strip mining operations that dig deep into the Earth. Our world is science. Our world is knowledge. So because our reality is different than the biblical authors, we run the risk of missing something important in our gospel stories if we don't understand the three-story universe of the biblical world and how very, very organized that is. The boundaries are clearly defined. There is a very specific place for God, for us, and for that which is more distant from God. And there is not much room for movement those that live in the realm of God may occasionally venture down, but that's it, and it doesn't happen that often. The living are not able to cross the realm of the dead, nor are they able to get to God. They are kept by themselves. So I want you to keep this assumed reality and normalcy in mind when you think about the gospel story that we heard. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I needed to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is baptized. And um, in this story, there is something profound and countercultural that happens. Something that goes against every commonly held assumption of the time, and it happens right at the end of Jesus' baptism. Matthew mentions that after Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens are opened. Now, the Gospel writer Mark will take this a step further and say that the heavens are not just opened, but that they're shattered as the Spirit of God comes to Jesus in the midst of the wilderness, in, in the midst of, a, of an out-of-the-way kind of place. So in this story, the barrier that separates God from humanity, the divine from the physical world, which is very clear in this three tiered universe, that boundary is removed. The boundaries have become blurred. No longer will things be black and white. No longer will God be up there and will be down here. No longer will things be orderly, for the heavens are opened. And the presence of God is now among us in a way that could never have been imagined before. <laughs> so I tell this story. Well, the implication is that you can no longer expect to find God by looking up to the usual places. Instead, you must look around, look in the unexpected places, and as Jesus taught, look to the places and the people that are right in front of you. <laughs> it's a new normal, a new way that is not familiar, which invites us to see a deeper spiritual truth, namely that the presence and goodness of God is found maybe has always been found in the unpredictable and unexpected places of life. I mean, maybe we have misstepped as human beings thinking that we could have ever expected God to be confined 
to an unchanging little box in the sky. So most people, most people like consistency. They like orderliness. They like predictability. They like the idea of the precise black and white nature of the three-story universe. It's appealing, but that's not reality. Things change all the time. Life is unpredictable. And the biblical stories remind us that it is precisely in those moments of life that we have an opportunity to see the presence and goodness of God in a way that we don't at other times. The blurred, boundaryless story of Jesus' baptism also, also alludes to something else. In the wilderness, in the chaos, God speaks through the chaos and says to Jesus, this is my son, he is beloved, in him I am well pleased. And I find the nature of God in this story so needed and necessary right now. It is the nature of God to seek out and find people in the wilderness of life, sitting alone in a hospital room, at home on the couch, falling asleep from exhaustion, suffering from a disillusioned worldview, a breakup, a divorce, addiction. I mean, you get the point, it's the wilderness, right? The God of the Bible, especially in the story of Jesus' baptism, is a minister who searches out and finds people, who breaks the boundary between heaven and earth to walk with people while speaking words of affirmation and support. So, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest problems that many people have with religion is its tendency to flatten divine action into religious ideology <laughs> or some intellectual thoughts about God. The biblical God is not an idea, but a movement, a force, a minister that is actively seeking to bring hope into our world. I, I mean, think about it. Before Jesus does anything, before he begins his ministry, before he does something to make himself worthy, he receives words of affirmation and acceptance in his baptism. You are my child. You are beloved. I am well pleased in you. This concept is as foreign to the gospel writer's world as it is to ours. I mean, I have spent so much of my life trying to change myself and do things in order to fit in that I might find acceptance, that I might find a place in this world. And apparently that really has not changed. I, mean, I think it's interesting listening to my kids as they get older. I mean, I, I'm not surprised by this, but it is interesting still to hear that things are not that different for them than they were for me, that they were from my parents. So here is what life has taught them, just as life has taught me this years ago. They have learned that it's awful to feel like you don't belong. So you must try to change yourself in order to fit in at all costs. While age does take some of the pressure away, it does not remove it completely. I mean, how, how many of you are comfortable in your own skin? Are you able to be yourself, your whole self in a community? Or are you worried about what others will say? How you'll be perceived and treated if they saw the whole you, the real you, 
What do you keep locked up for fear of what it might do to your reputation and image? What part of you do you hold back? Fitting in and acceptance are not the same thing. In fact, they're opposites. Fitting in means that you have to change something or get something or hide something about yourself in order to be included. Acceptance in its purest form is given freely and takes in every part of you, the good and the bad. And that is what we hear happening as God speaks to Jesus in his baptism. It does not matter who you are. God meets us where we are, for who we are, and we're called to do the same for others. Radical acceptance. I mean, we say something like this every week in our worship, both in our online and in-person services. That's how we welcome people here. Do you get tired of hearing that? I mean, in, in a world where you are just expected to fit in, in a world where people struggle to find a meaningful, life-giving, supportive community, this is good news. In the baptismal story we heard today, the orderly universe comes crashing down, and as God invades our space, and as God comes near, we encounter words of acceptance. These words are not just meant for Jesus, they're meant for us as well. It, it is the baptismal promise. No one knows what the future holds. Life is unpredictable at best. Transition is a part of our reality. We're doing it every day in some way, sometimes big, sometimes small. It is messy, it is disorderly, and it often can be unpleasant. However, it's in the chaos where God dwells and God speaks words of acceptance and speaks words of an identity that you are a child of God. You are first and foremost a child of God. Do not forget what that means. So as we move forward in this life, this is one thing that will not change. Our call to deepen our spirituality as we practice the love of God through radical acceptance of each other and our neighbor. I mean, this is the good news that we hear today. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. As a way of going deeper into our focus text and applying that story more directly to your life, here are a few reflection questions for you to think about, journal about, talk about as a, as a family. Question number one, are you able to be yourself in a community or do you worry about what others think? How much time and energy do you spend trying to fit in? And question number two, how do you understand God? Is God an abstract idea or a movement, a force, a minister actively bringing hope to the world? I mean, how does, how does the story of Jesus' baptism shape how you answer that question? Mm -hmm.